national parks, right? We ever everybody agrees that national parks are the fucking they're great, they're the best. Whereas I say fuck national parks, man. So let's talk about <clears throat> this kind of developed out of this insane Facebook post <laughs> that you made the other day, which generated, uh, you're not big on, on the heat generation lately. I think that you've got a little gun shy, but this certainly... No, it generates heat, but I just don't have time to respond. To no, anyway. I'm not saying you should respond. I'm saying that it, it's, this is like old school Isaac Simpson posting where you get this giant comment thread of a million people. Well, I used to, I used to stoke those fires, you know, whereas I would respond to people and keep yeah. the argument going. Whereas now when I have like 30 people commenting, I'm just like, <laughs> I just get bored. Also, I removed Facebook from my phone and all browse like browsers from my phone just cause I don't want to, if I could have like a, this is what I want the next invention to be. Yeah. I want there to be a Facebook bomb, like a Facebook nuclear option. Like some hacker needs to develop this where you can set it off and it removes Facebook forever from all of your devices. I was listening to... I would use it. I would do it. Uh, do you like Sam Harris? People keep talking to me. I was Sam listening. He has, a, he has a good podcast. He makes Who me... Who is he? Yeah, he's one of the four atheist horsemen of the non-existent apocalypse along with Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens. Oh, like, really? He's one of those guys. Oh. Uh, so he he has a really interesting podcast. Really? Um, and Waking Up with Sam Harris? That's correct. I and I was listening to an episode recently. I don't remember. I wish I could remember the uh, name of it. Uh, he had a guy on there that used to be a design ethicist. 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 I've had a little alcohol already. Ethicist for Google named Tristan something. And he had a long conversation with him about this company that the guys founded called Time Well Spent, which is about encouraging people to use their digital time better and to think about the stuff that actually makes us happier in the long run to do online, to use apps that are beneficial for us Instead of apps that are instantaneously yeah. uh, thrilling, but then later we're like, oh, I just spent three hours on Facebook. Yeah, doing nothing. And um, I really forward. recommend that episode for you, especially because he talks a lot about this and how do we get companies um, that are kind of these cities that we live in yeah, to do ecosystems. Uh, a better job of not rewarding our reptile brain. You know, oh, I get likes. I want to keep seeing yeah. how many likes I get, and to keep checking and seeing how many updates we get. I fall into this trap as well. Ugh, it's, God, it's terrible. No, dude. My most recent Medium article was that they actually. I was one of. The, I'm one of the first members of the Medium membership program. Yeah, which means I get paid to write on Medium. Right. Which is great, but my my first paid article for them was about this company called Urbit. Yeah. Which is addressing these problems and you know my lead-in to the whole article is look it's studies show that connection makes people happy right the studies also show that the internet makes people unhappy right and there's a disconnect there because the internet ostensibly is a connection machine that's what the internet is supposedly does yeah yet it makes us very unhappy while 
real connection makes us happy. So why is that? Right. Yeah. And so there's this company Urbit that's literally like revolutionizing, you know, and you hear this all the time, of course, but this is, it's like really flipping the entire way that we think about the internet on its head, you know, by essentially they are going to make, you know, you can read the article, uh, if you want, but it's, um, although it's behind that paywall, so it's a little frustrating, but, uh, they're going to make the online experience much more like real life. Yeah. So you won't be able to escape your reputation. It'll be much harder to be anonymous. It'll be much harder to troll. But at the same time, when you interact with information, it will be yours. Yeah. So in the same way that when you get a newspaper, when you buy a newspaper, you own that newspaper. That's your newspaper. Right. right? Whereas now when I go into NewYorkTimes.com, I'm at their mercy. You know, they can do whatever the fuck they want. They can change, you know, stealth edit anything. And, yeah. and I, I can come back. I can read one thing. I can come back five minutes later and it can be totally different. And that happens, you know, and that's fucked up and weird. And the Internet doesn't need to work that way. So it'll be much more like you'll be your own server and you'll capture that information and bring it into your server and it will be yours. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. There's a that that's kind of tied to the podcast episode because they talk about the ways in which because advertising is, is basically the way all these internet portals make money, that they're incentivized to keep you on their portal as long as possible. Yeah, to of keep course. You clicking around. Of course. So yeah, you'll be ecosystem. scrolling down and they've got a video playing yeah. and then you get wrapped into the video and then they have those, you know, uh, just a lot of mental tricks yeah. to keep you uh, on there for much longer than you ever intended to be. YouTube does that by playing videos right yeah. after each other. Yeah. Netflix does the same thing in a different way. Yeah, they want then they don't want you to leave and they make it difficult for you to go into other ecosystems, right? right? They they make it hard so you can't really combine a company a while ago called um I forget the name. This is annoying that I'm forgetting the name, but it was uh I'd mentioned it in the article, uh tried to make an integrated Twitter Facebook news feed, yeah. right? Which makes complete fucking sense. Why shouldn't we be able to do that? We should have them in one place, you yeah. know, duh. And he that got, way people don't cross post. Yeah, yeah. And then fucking he hate. fucking he got like completely. I think it was called Power Ventures. Yeah, he got sued into fucking oblivion right. because Facebook's like, no, we're not going to let you have the power. You know, like we we need to keep you and on our content farm. It's quite futile, really. I mean, because every time you post something on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, you are make you are literally far producing something for mark zuckerberg you yeah. are giving him value right you know and in exchange he's providing you like your little plantation you know it's like sharecropping yeah. like, here, like here's your little house in the field now go like farm me some fucking content and it's free but really, he's in complete control, and he can do whatever the fuck he wants with the information. You could wake up tomorrow. This happens on Twitter. If you say the wrong thing on Twitter, Jack Dorsey is known to just ban you. Right. And you could have spent years building an audience on there. It's just over. And yeah. you can't get your tweets. You're just fucked. Yeah. The, uh, one of the kind of long-term implications that they talked about was like getting this stuff fixed now before virtual reality gets good enough that we're having the uh, even worse problem in that ecosphere. Yeah. Like, you know, instead of 
uh, being in this world where it's just instantaneous pleasure grabbing, we're actually moving to a model of the internet and apps and everything else that is more beneficial for you. Like, oh, I feel good about using this app. I feel good about it. So what is an example of that? Like Uh, what's... Like one of the examples, like Sam Harris is building a meditation app. He's big into meditation. Uh, So it it would be using an app like that uh, to do meditation, which is very difficult to, to sit and do. Um, or like my fitness pal, you ever use that app? No. You track your, your workouts and it interacts with Fitbit and you track your calories. You put everything you eat into it, or you can scan barcodes of food Yeah. and it, and you keep track of your, your health intake. Yeah. So those are apps that make people feel good in the long run. Like I feel mm-hmm. good about using this, but there's no real immediate pleasure from it. Like yeah. there is for Facebook and Twitter and, yeah, and so yeah. forth. Huh? Yeah, it's really good. I recommend everyone listen to it. Yeah, I, the, you've I've, so many people have mentioned Sam Harris to me. I need to uh, he's a very uh, ASMR voice. You have to be a little careful. What is ASMR? ASMR is this weird internet thing. Um, it's I don't think there's any scientific study about it, but it's this idea that uh, there's a certain kind of uh, feeling that you, that some people get by hearing certain sounds or getting specialized attention. And there's this whole weird community of ASMR video makers. What? It's like this tingling. Like, you ever get a haircut and you feel a feeling of enjoyment? Like, kind of a bodily feeling of, like, almost like a tingling in your head? This is how it's described. A tingling in my head when I'm getting a haircut? Yeah, because my hair is being cut off. But... No, like a, like inside, like it's difficult. I don't really get it, so it's hard for me to describe a feeling that I don't like get. Uh, I have no idea what okay. you're talking about. So anyway, there's it's it's this feeling that people allegedly get. They hear it from like light tapping or paper crinkling or whispering, uh, and they you know they claim it's th- this thing that they feel. It's this feeling generated by this external stimuli. Uh, what does ASMR stand for? Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Jesus. Uh, an experience characterized by a static-like or tingling sensation on the skin that typically begins on the scalp and moves down the back of the neck and upper spine. It has been compared with auditory tactile synesthesia. Uh, ASMR signifies the subjective experience of low-grade euphoria characterized by a combination of positive feelings and a distinct static-like tingling uh, sensation on the skin. Wow. So this is almost like the opposite of nails on the chalkboard. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So there's a whole weird uh, YouTube community of people that make ASMR stimulus videos. Oh my god. Uh, and they're so they're they're very bizarre. Let's hear one. Here's one. I I have no idea what this is. All right. So the video is. It's like this girl. And here we have a girl just waving, with headphones on, waving her hands around. And like fluttering her hand, hands. Sound. Like the fluttering of wings. And they're big into whispering. Anyway. Oh, yeah, I kind of get it. I kind of see what they're saying. Yeah. It's... Like there's that sort of pleasant voice sound. It's the pleasant voice sound. And a lot of these... These are endlessly entertaining to me because they're so silly. They're so dumb. And yeah. the, 
but there's like there's like haircut simulation and like doctor <laughs> yeah yeah okay and, and i get it doctor's exam simulation yeah, there's something like strangely comforting about those sounds yeah. that's so weird how do we get onto that topic i don't know <laughs> you said his voice is asmr oh so sam harris has a very asmr voice like he talks in very measured tones totally engulfed murray's career this is him and has yeah. yet to release him his co-author richard hernstein died just before the book was published so he talks so like Murray this all the time. The so yeah, he's got a very pleasant voice. Yeah, he makes me sleepy, so I can't yeah. listen to him at night, <laughs> but I can listen to him at work to kind of uh, keep things relaxed. Speaking of voices in the podcast sphere, yeah, can we talk about the Ira Glass imitator voice? <laughs> sure. We got to get in our weekly anti-Semitism in yeah. some way. So, uh, you know. It drives me fucking insane. It's it's super vocal fry. It's vocal. Do you fry. have an example that you want yeah, to provide? Yeah, listen to some of. Um, put in an episode of S Town. It's the guy. It's it the, the paradigmatic example, right? Is Support the guy. Comes from Blue. Well, okay, so here's Sarah Koenig, who who imitates Ira Glass. Right. There's also the guy who, at the beginning of This American Life and all of these shows, says. Support comes from Squarespace. <laughs> with, a, with a pulley system. It might oh, have bells that are supposed to strike the hour. Or see, okay. it's meant to pop out and cuckoo it. Pause for a second. Cuckoo-y. Do you see... Yeah. You know what vocal fry is? Yeah, of course. So can you, you hear... Can you describe it for everybody? Vocal fry yeah. is when you go, like, uh, at the end of your words. It's And the reason it's called fry, I think, is because it sounds like frying... Like frying, like yeah. it's eggs, like it's like, there's this strange like pitter patter to yeah. it, you know? And this American Life host, since Ira Glass does it and has kind of made a thing of it. And, you know, I love Ira Glass. I think Ira Glass is an absolute genius. I love what he's done. I think he's great. But they all now, everybody who has one of these, you know, Gimblet media shows. Gimlet? Well, yeah, whatever. They're all the fucking set. You know, they're all kind of flow from Ira Glass, yeah. you know, Serial, this, S-Town. And, you know, there's been a couple other ones recently. The Richard Simmons podcast, yeah. that was the same thing. And there's another one called Heavyweights. It's the same thing. And I feel, feel like they all kind of know each other. And they all talk in this this way where they at the end of their words they go like uh, <laughs> like that just makes them sound like such sensitive cucky bitches of tiny individual pieces each of which needs to interact with the others precisely precisely to make the job even trickier you often can't tell what's been done to a clock over hundreds of years maybe there's damage that was never fixed or fixed badly sometimes badly. entire portions of the original <laughs> clockwork are missing but you can't know for sure because there are rarely diagrams of what the clock's supposed to look like. I just, I a hate a lot of that. I just can't stand it. I can't, like, I listened to S-Town because I thought it was a fascinating thing. It, like Serial, it had no fucking ending. But, you know, but it was, a, it was a fascinating, it was, you know, I think he did a good job as a journalist. But his fucking voice, I just can't stand these people's voices. It's yeah. like, it drives me insane. I read some Slate article about S-Town and it, it's it, it was a piece of like what annoys me about criticism of stuff now. They're like, uh, I don't know what the guy's name is. It does S Town, but he's like, he doesn't have enough knowledge of of queer culture to like talk about this. And it's this weird like 
nobody can talk about anything unless yeah, they're unless a member they're of the, a the community. Gay, black, lesbian. And yeah, then they can I was just like, well, that's a bizarre. Like, yeah. Why? Why isn't it fine to have an every man? Uh, if indeed he is an everyman, like describe this. Anything, exactly. Know. Who cares? Also, I mean, this show, he spends so much time. I've realized recently, and, and this is true of comedy, I've, I've kind of noticed this in comedy yeah. while, while watching you guys the other night. So much of art in this day and age is spent letting your audience know that you're like a good guy. <laughs> and he spends so much time doing that in S-Town. It's like somebody dies and he just goes on and on and he's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, I, oh, I can't believe it. And you have to sit there and, like, see him put on this fucking performance right. of, of, like, pity. And it's like, bro, you're a fucking journalist. Like, what are you doing? You know, like, I, like I try to be a little dispassionate here. You know, we don't, we don't need to see you, you know, just so we all know uh, you have feelings, you know? Yeah. So I don't. I'm uh, I'm kind of limited in my podcast. That voice and that cadence bothers me. So there's a lot of podcast stuff that I don't listen to. Uh, yeah, for that reason, because I I understand that its tradition as the way to do audio storytelling, but it it bothers. I'd rather listen to talk radio. Well, and can there be? It's just like it's going out of control to have an unpleasant voice. You know what I mean? It's like it's like. That guy in the beginning, you got to admit, that guy who says the advertisements in the middle, uh, in the beginning of This American Life, it's like a character. He's like, this is, I am the nerdiest guy in the world. He's got a back of the throat voice, Yeah, right? this is, Ooh. this is Squarespace. Uh, just please, I'm in Brooklyn and I'm handicapped. How did you, what were you saying about, you came to uh, Darkest Hour the other night, which is every second Friday at Westside Comedy Theater <laughs> yeah. in Santa Monica. We're, I gotta get better good. at plugging. We've all gotta, we both gotta. Implement. All the people who do it are extremely fat. <laughs> 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 it's a fat people comedy show, which is funny because you are a former fat people person. It's like you're just drawn to them. It's uh, like you're, it's was everybody that did it fat? Everybody besides the like tall, handsome guy who's. Okay. Not fat, but just a large, large man. Right. Yeah. Who is tall, handsome guy? I don't, I don't know, know if they, I, maybe handsome, it's a stretch. He was sort of like low budget Bradley Cooper guy. Boston with the Boston hat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Jeff May from uh, Unpopular Opinion Podcast. Yeah. He was okay. I, I liked all you guys. I thought Josh was hilarious. You know, I thought he did a good job. He had the crowd really going. I thought everybody was cool uh, there. But who was signaling that they were a good guy? What was that? It's not that you guys were signaling you were a good guy, but even at that podcast, even at that show where you guys are all, because you're going so dark, right? You spend a lot of time not apologizing, but kind of like making sure everybody knows like, this is just a joke. You know, I feel like the only one of you guys that didn't apologize the entire time was Josh. Yeah. Which was funny. And I, I think you shouldn't apologize. Did I apologize? Yeah, a couple times you're like, oh, that didn't work. You know, which I think you should really try and avoid saying. That. Well, that's uh, that's not an apology. That's just... Yeah, uh, it's a reaction that you have. It's like a, it's a gut reaction. But I think that you shouldn't do that. I like doing it. I like acknowledging that something crashed and burned. Don't Why? You, don't you I, think no. that's fun? No, I, I don't. I, I think that's fun. No, I think you're looking for people to give you a little, like laugh aid when you do that because you're saying you just flopped and then you say oh that flopped and you know that when you say that flopped people are going to give you a little giggle that'll like get you back on track whereas i think you should just let it die and keep going yeah yeah all right that's not a bad note 
Uh, I, I not, did. but you're, you, everybody did that. So you weren't alone. The only one who didn't was Josh. And I think he probably is conscious of it. Yeah. The, um, it's a, I host that show, which is a weird position to be in because you can't, you have this responsibility to the show too, to, to, to always keep the crowd kind of loose. Sure. So I tend to do more of that when I'm hosting than when I'm just out there being an asshole. Yeah. Because, you know, it's not my show uh, if I'm the asshole and I can just leave. But when I'm like, hey, everybody, welcome to the show. You know, you, you have to have that kind of like, I don't know, you can't be too alienating. Yeah. You've got to keep them. You've got to be a little warmer than everybody else. So we got off track, but let's talk about your... So you posted this thing on Facebook that got a lot of heat. And it was a Washington Post story about uh, a review of national monuments um, ordered by the Trump administration. And I didn't, you know, uh, it seemed like pretty standard Republican skepticism of declaring stuff a national monument or a national park. Sure. Um, But the way that you presented it was insane. (laughs) Let Let me read... To everyone, your, your post that accompanied this article. The article's headline is Trump orders review of national monuments, vows to uh, end these abuses. Mm-hmm. Was there more on that headline? Uh, vows to end these abuses and return control to the people. Yeah. So that's usual Trumpian nonsense. <laughs> but this is what... Um, this is what you wrote. Hate to say it, but this is something he's right about. 80% of Nevada is owned by the federal government. It's and actually 84.9. And a similar amount of Oregon. In a country facing a housing crisis, this is the, the silly part, uh, that doesn't make sense. So everyone rightfully leaped on your invocation of the housing crisis. Of the crisis. housing crisis, yeah. Which uh, was probably the, the weakest part of that take, it, for not, sure. Not just the weakest, the most stupid and dumb <laughs> and ridiculous. <laughs> It had nothing to do because the rest of the, you know, we, you could actually have a normal person discussion of does the federal government own too much land? Uh, Yeah, sure. Which is what I was trying to spark. Right. But if I, I'll tell you something, if I had said, written a reasoned argument for why they shouldn't, nobody would have paid any attention and they would have said, and they would have been like, oh, well, okay, well, I I don't, that's too complicated for me to think about. So I'm just going to move on and continue my stupid opinions. You did, you did chime in a few times and still... Uh, we have millions of empty houses. Many of them are just too expensive. Somebody said. And yeah, said, sure. However, that 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 is that's true, though. I mean, yes, we do have millions of empty houses. However, if there's more available land for homesteading, which doesn't exist anymore, but if there was still homesteading, then that would be much less of an issue because demand would be far less because people would be like, oh, okay, well, I don't need to live in, you know, fucking. I don't know, like Monrovia, I can go homestead a new place in Nevada. You know, I can actually have my own tract of land, you know? So what is it? What are you saying? I'm, not I'm just saying anymore. housing prices, if the federal land is, t- if federal government is tying up all this land, especially land that exists in beautiful parts of the country that people would want to live, hey, but, you know. But that's that's not the reason the housing... Uh, market is expensive. Sure, no, it's not the reason. Like if if suddenly if suddenly all that land got opened up and people were able to go build houses next to the Grand Canyon yeah. or whatever, 
uh, that's not going to alleviate anything. It's, I think it. W- I think it definitely what do you, what would. Do you th- what do you think is going to happen? Let's say. Well, that look. I mean, hold can, on. So California is in the middle of the. You know, California is probably worse than anywhere, right? In terms of the housing crisis, right? Do you know how much land in California the government owns? Let's. But let's talk about where in California there's a housing crisis. Where? Yeah, uh, sure. It's worse. Is there a in the housing cities? crisis in in Sacramento? Is there a housing crisis in Barstow? Well, I don't know, but I well, I, I exactly. actually don't know. But I, I what I'm saying people don't want to live the, in those places. The housing crises are taking places in in places that people are moving to because okay. they want to live there. However, if you were to look, people don't realize that in California, forty five, fifty percent of the land in this state is owned by the federal government. Okay. I mean that's fucking weird. Where? I, I don't know. Well, there you go. You know, so you're you're not presenting me with anything. I'm just saying, that, man. If if that if housing. that was given, I'm sure it would. If you were to open that up for homesteading, especially in some of the open nicer what places, up? Th- those tracts of land. So people from the cities that are overcrowded, that's causing the housing crisis, would suddenly go out and live out there. I, not all of them, but you know, some percentage yeah. of them, it would take the ease off. You know, <laughs> make it easier. It's absurd. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's that absurd. It's a little bit of a stretch, I'll give you, but... Yeah, it's a total stretch. Uh, all right, look, what... Okay. The perspective... I mean, if you want to bring a perspective, does the federal government own too much land? I think there's a conversation to be had there. Uh, would opening up the land... You're assuming, number one, that opening up this land is going to be used for housing, when we all know it's going to be used for whatever uh, corporation wants Which to Which I actually don't really have a problem with either, to be honest with you. But... Uh, it's okay. So you don't realize how different it is from the. Would you want to take a guess of how much land in Connecticut is owned by the federal government? Very little, I'm sure. Yes, take a guess. Ten uh, percent. Point three. Wow. Maine, one percent. Massachusetts, one percent. You know the southern states: Mississippi, five percent; Missouri, three percent. So, do you think uh, you know that... it, it, New Hampshire? Uh, New Hampshire is actually a lot. So, percent. New you... Jersey, three percent; New York, point three percent. So, do you think in Boston and New York, Ohio, one percent? So, and then so hold on. So then, listen to the western states. Are you ready for this? Utah, sixty-five percent; Nevada, eighty-four uh, percent; Idaho, sixty-one percent. Um, Colorado, 35, California, 45, Alaska, 61, Arizona, 40. So we're talking about massive, massive differences in the Western states and the Eastern states. That has nothing to do with housing. Well, we have a housing crisis in California. So, you know, and I, I don't know what's happening in Phoenix or whatever, but I, you know, or Denver, I've heard they do actually have a housing crisis in Denver. I don't so. know anything about Denver. I know, I know Arizona is fine. If you go, yeah. if you go look at Arizona, it's not as bad rental prices. It's not anywhere near close to being. Well, bad. but Oregon, Oregon, definitely, you know, that's 50% of the land is owned by the government. It's just, okay. Whether or not there is a very possibly loose correlation between housing crisis and this thing. I'll give you that. I would say a a non-existent. Okay. Well, maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but, and, and you're right. That wasn't the most, you know, necessarily, uh, rock solid argument. However, I do think that it is worth thinking about, from a personal property standpoint, thinking about, okay, well, why why is, you know, eight out of 10 acres of Nevada 
owned by the government. I mean, that's weird. You know, it's like that. That's just strange. And it, you can see why people get pissed off about this stuff. You know, the people who live out there, they're like, hey, I want my cattle to graze over here. No, but now I have to pay the feds such and such amount of money. For you don't this. think they'd be paying somebody else? Well, of course they would. Yeah. But it would be decentralized. Again, this is like the major differences between neoliberals and uh, not neoliberals these days is decentralization of power and wealth. And well, who's going to own who's going to own that land ultimately? Well, it'll be split up. It'll be done with. So but, I was reading the article about. But will this. it be split up? I don't think we live in a world where it's going to be split up. Anymore. It's going to be controlled by corporations, uh, corporations. instead of feds. Yes, which well, is not which is not to me preferable. No, that that's not necessarily preferable. However, if you were able to, because look, the the reason why there's at least in the article that I read, the reason why there's a New York Times article about this, very short, it's easy to read. The reason why there's so much federal land out here still is because the country was homesteaded slowly but surely from east to west, right? So yeah. the, the federal government would acquire land or take it from Native Americans, and they would divide it up and do homesteading, which was like, okay, you have this, come out here, you have this, you got to build a little house out here and figure it out, right? That, just because time sort of caught up with us, that stopped. They basically stopped doing that. And they still had all these land possessions that they were hanging on to. So it's like this land was acquired to be distributed, but then it just never, they never ended up distributing it. And now they lease it to like cattle farmers and shit. So to me, it's like if all you're doing as the federal government is taking a tract of land and then leasing it out for your own benefit, that doesn't really seem to me like what the federal government that's not really their job. Their job isn't to like lease large tracts of land. Like that's dumb, you know. Sure, I, uh, you know, I see, I see where you're coming from on that perspective. However, we're we're kind of being very broad about what the federal government is doing with all this land. In some cases, it's preserving it. Uh, well, I see. Here's another thing in terms of preserving. I mean, are you really for like? Okay, so. National parks, right? We ever everybody agrees that national parks are the fucking they're great, they're the best. Whereas I say fuck national parks, man. Fuck national parks. <laughs> Fashional <laughs> narcs. <laughs> it, seriously, I like I, I I don't care. Why is preserving land a good idea? Like I don't. Conservation is fine. Yeah, you want to keep land beautiful and natural, and you don't want to just fuck it to the point where it's a strip mall in goddamn Arizona, right? I get that. But at the same time, I don't really give a fuck about preserving. Oh, it must be preserved as the absolute pristine perfection. Can you say fuck national parks again? Fuck national parks. Just let's just lead in with that. I need to have that ready. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck national parks. <laughs> no, I I agree. I mean, like, okay, this is something that I sort of learned uh, in Vietnam, in the sense that, you know, I think the whole idea that nature in in the West we think nature should be either just like raped to death or preserved, right? Sure. So we have, okay, here's the, uh, you know, the ocean, and we are just going to fucking over, we're just going to completely just rape the shit out of it to get as much as we can get out of it. And then right next to there, 
Obama made like, oh, here's 10 square miles of ocean that you cannot touch at all. You know, you can't do anything to it. Just leave it completely alone. You can't enjoy it. You can like visit it, but you can't really do anything on it, you know? And I think that that's dumb. You know, I think it's like land is meant to be enjoyed. It's not meant to be just like looked at, you know? And in Vietnam, that was something that was very evident. It's like there, every beach is like, there are fishermen that go and fish the fish right there. They bring them to the beach. They grill them on the beach and they serve them right there. Yeah. And it's the best seafood I've ever had in my entire life. Whereas here, every bit of seafood we eat is like, because we can't fish here, we can't fish there. So it's all like frozen in Southeast Asia and delivered to us in like a frozen fucking bucket. Whereas it's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily believe in like land, preser- preserving land in its absolute pristine form. I don't, I don't think that that's... But do you, is that even what happens in national parks? Don't national parks encourage being able to live on the land? No. Uh, what are you, no, you can't, you can't, you can't go, live in a national park. You can't live, but you can go and you can use it. And you can use it for what you can go camping, you can go hiking. You exactly, but camping and hiking are just like they're so passive. They're so. What do you want else to happen? You should be able to set up a little house in there. You should be able to set up a little garden. You know, like if that's but the 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 issue comes down to I think that our the way that our society is structured, it's not going to be people doing that. Yeah, it's it's not going to be be people strip malls and pavement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a nightmare. Sure. Sure. So how do you avoid that while still allowing people to enjoy it? I mean, this is a problem with our society is that, you know, again, yeah, we're so adept at just raping the fuck out of nature. Whereas the Vietnamese are so much more, they're so much more in tune. They know how to like live places and not well, rape the shit out of we them. We kicked you know? out the people that knew how to do they that. They knew how to do that. Exactly. And so we're in there when we just mechanize the destruction of these yeah. places. But I feel like making them pristine and untouched is in a way just a function of the same problem, you know? Like, I've never felt... I I just don't feel a lot when I'm, like, hiking. You know what I mean? Like, I need no, to, like... I, I need to interact with the land in I, a way. I understand you know? your position, but I... You know, we don't have... There's just no middle way that you're talking about. It's going to happen. It's not going to happen in America. You know, it's either don't touch this or a corporation is going to come in there and, you know, strip mine or frack yeah. or do whatever, they do whatever, yeah. fuck it. And then say, all right, bye. You deal with the, the aftermath <laughs> yeah. of this. And in some cases, the federal government has to, because the federal government is not a business. They don't have a profit motive ostensibly. You know, they have the most, uh, they're the most likely bulwark against bulwark, bulwark, bulwark. against, uh, against those forces. Per- I, okay, so when you're preserving something as a national monument, it's land that the feds already own. It's not like they're going and taking these things, right? I believe, they're just making it so you can't use it. Well, I think that you know part of the thing in that article was kind of a discussion of overreach. Like, mm-hmm. are they declaring too much stuff a national monument or, yeah. or needing to be preserved? And that was kind of an interesting point to me because it was pointed out in the article that uh, during the Obama administration, uh, at least according to... Uh, some of the interviews that they did, that they were pretty good about speaking with the local surrounding No, I heard that they weren't. That's not what the article said. The article said huh. that they, they sought uh, input most of the time from the locals because in a lot of cases, that's going to be their income generator. It's a tourist attraction. You have, you know, tourism money that where comes was this? from people. What, where was it published? 
uh, in Washington Post oh, article well, yeah, that, so that you uh, a, that you. Know. you you can't trust them. Yeah, you can't trust the Washington well, you, Post. It's all liberal. It's, it's, just all, the it's liberal all liberals. Narrative. That's right. It's all only it Breitbart is. can be. Uh, Did you see the media for... bubble pu- thing that got published by Politico? That, I understand that, but what does that have to do with this? Just saying, it's like ninety-seven percent liberal media. It's proven fact. What, Pro- the, Politico proved it. The, it was great. They shot themselves in the foot. The, They're one of them. The, the point of the article was that the report that we've destroyed our local reporting because uh, our. Uh, our newspapers are all controlled yeah. by conglomerates. Sure. No, yeah. I don't think there was so much about liberal reporting. It was just that everybody that does reporting lives in yeah, media bubbles, which well, doesn't mean that you're liberal. It just means no, you does. don't interact with people in Omaha who have different concerns than Did you read people the that live in New York. I skimmed it. The point was, the very clear point of that article was that it's liberal in those places. That, that was the thesis. Uh, I don't know that it was that cut and dry. It was. It was. Uh, I read it. You didn't. So maybe you should listen. Well, I don't know. Your read on things. <laughs> because what, what, let's see, we got into a tussle. Uh, you called me a, you implied that I was a cuck. I, I expressed an opinion <laughs> and I took that as a joke. It is. Of course. Your, your friends, you know, got upset. Um, Did they? Yeah, the the comment. Thread. Anytime I use the word "cuck," it is a joke, and it's not. I don't actually. Believe. But this part was what annoyed me. Uh, it's just hard for cuck libs. <laughs> not that part. That part's funny. funny. To read that. Who've never lived okay, outside sorry. a city to understand? Yeah. Which you know, well, I still. I still. Te- who are you telling the, that to? The Bundys, man. Cliven Bundy, Ammon Bundy. You know, those are the people. They're out there. They have flocks of cattle. I understand. And but like, who, who are the cuck libs who've never lived outside a city to understand? Everybody that comments on my shit. They've never lived anywhere besides New York and L.A. Does that include know? me? Because that's who you were addressing it to. Well, yeah. Okay. So, have you ever lived? I know you're from. Phoenix. Have you ever lived in a trailer? No. Thank you. Have you? Yes, I have. Where? In Arizona, in the person's backyard. Really? Yes, when I was little. But well, you, but you were in Phoenix. No, I was not at the time. You weren't? We were in some shithole in Arizona. Listen, this is, this is what I don't like, is you do a lot of... I, I believe I accused you of having whatever the uh, city boy equivalent of white guilt is, where you have okay. to... Okay. Uh, that's interesting. You haven't... You actually haven't grown up in these places. And uh, no, I haven't. You, you grew I, up I've in a suburb spent of Chicago. time in them. That doesn't mean anything. You haven't lived. Have, you know, I've lived in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Sure. Okay, that's fair. So I, I'll accept that. So, you know, your, your, your common man posturing yeah. is a little condescending, yeah. both I, to I, the I people that live in those places yeah. and to people that have come out of those places and go, hey, uh, those places, they kind of stink to they live They kind of are terrible. Anyway... I get it. I think that's a fair critique of me. Yes. You know, because yes, I mean, I have lived in New Orleans. Sure. But New Orleans is New Orleans, right? It's not fucking. No, it's not. You know, bumfuck, uh, bumfuck Louisiana. Yeah. And so, no, I've never lived the small town life. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't think you've spent that much time living the small town life, have you? I, I, I mean, I grew up in small towns. Almost really? Every. I've lived in uh, Springerville, Arizona. That's okay, where I, I didn't know that. I thought you were from Phoenix and like These are the towns Raleigh that I've lived in. Let's go. Uh, these are the towns that I've lived in in my life. I okay. lived in San Francisco when I was a little baby. Okay, so there I've you lived go. In, uh, <laughs> I've lived in Springerville, Arizona. I've lived in Winslow, Arizona. I've lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I've lived in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Wow, I've cool. lived in Wilcox, Arizona. I've lived in Tucson, Arizona. I've lived in New York City. I've lived in Wake Forest, North Carolina. I've lived in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I've lived in Pisgah Forest, North Carolina. 
and then I've lived in Los Angeles for 11 years. Wow. So you've been done both extremes. I certainly have. Yeah. I've been at both ends of it. Why? Why have you lived in so many places and in trailer parks? I didn't realize that you were like from an impoverished We're not impoverished. No, don't, don't mistake it. I'm not doing a Bill O'Reilly, you know, I'm from Levittown when I'm actually from, you know, a much richer suburb. Uh, uh, we, my family was in medicine. My parents were both nurses, which is more working class than doctors. And they, uh, for career reasons, moved around a lot. They did a lot of, because when you're a nurse, you can get work pretty much anywhere. So you can kind of be a traveling nurse. You can spend time in multiple places. So that was kind of the background that they were coming from. And they were used to doing that. So the early years of my childhood was this flux. My mom wanted to live in bigger cities and my dad wanted to live in smaller towns. So we moved back and forth a lot. And then we finally settled in Tucson. Uh, but I'm comfortable in both of those places because I've lived in there. So they were living in a trailer more just because it was a temporary situation. It was temporary and it was cheap yeah. and, and they, yeah. they didn't want to have, you know, they didn't want to go house hunting or renting. Or yeah, they were just like, why not do this? So, you know, I have lived in these little bergs and I don't, if you want to live in a small town, you know, by all means. But a lot of people live in small towns just because that's where they were born. Yeah. They have no means to leave. Even if they want to, there's no way for them to get out. And then, you know, their whole community is that town and it's uh, hard for them to, to, to leave that place. I don't have any of that when I was a kid because we moved so much. So I don't have any roots anywhere. But I'm not glorifying life in no, those but you're, places. But I'm you're, not saying, oh, it's, uh, these are amazing. You know, I'm not noble savaging them. You know, a I'm little not, bit you are. Maybe there's, I'm a, maybe I'm a, a little, little bit of no, noble savagery. I'm not, look. I've been in these places. I've seen how shitty they are. You know, I mean, I, I, I hate to, you know, I'm going to, of course, people are going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? New Orleans is like the most liberal place in five states. And it is. But when I was in these places, I got in fights with people the other way. You know, I mean, I got in fights with people who were real racist. Yeah. You know, and. I'm not glorifying that. All I'm uh, I'm not glorifying their lives or these people. All I'm saying is that given the environment that I'm in, which is so overwhelmingly one way, I feel like I have some responsibility to remind people that there are people out there in these towns that don't live the same kind of life as them and and who also need to be considered in the national fabric. Sure. I don't think that that's a bad position, but that's not how it comes off. It yeah. So when I'm saying this, like, you know, silly cuck lib shit, which I'm obviously fucking around, but well, I don't, I think, I think the cuck lib part was obviously a joke. No, but okay. When I'm saying these people have no idea what these people's lives are like, sure. I mean, do you think that that's wrong? Having lived in those places yourself, do you feel like the pe- most of the people that we're talking to in LA, et cetera, have any conception of life in I those places? I do, because a lot of people that live in L.A. came from those places. Yeah. You're acting like everybody that's here has lived here their whole lives. But L.A. is a city of people that sure, moved out of yeah. small towns. No, that's actually kind of <laughs> true. Know? So you're, you're lecturing a lot of people that have come from a background where they're like, yeah, fuck those places. I hated it. Yeah, I hate those places. Anyway, well, I don't think I'm lecturing. I don't think a lot of people on my wall are like that. But yeah, in the general, you know, penis, Sia, is that even, I don't even think that's the right word. It's not the right word. But, but uh, word. for for uh, of L.A., you're right that it's like, especially in comparison to New York, 
LA is a place where there's a lot of like small town people who come out here, yeah. you know, and you kind of see those people. And you're right. I think that those people tend to be ultra liberal because they are rebelling against the world that they came from. Yeah. Right. Whereas I'm sort of the flip side of, I'm the opposite of that. Um, that said, the articles that I've read about this issue are saying that Obama didn't consider the desires of people in Utah, didn't consider the desires of people in these rural rural areas who were saying, hey, we don't want the federal government to own everything around here. Open it up and, you know, deliver this land back to the people, which I think is a legitimate critique. Well, if, if that's what happened, if they if there was a uh, a plan that did that, uh, that might be of interest. But I think we both know what will actually happen is they'll get sucked up by corporations and, and it'll be even even worse situation. I don't know. I, I don't know if I really believe in the whole, like, you know, avatar fucking, you know, oh, the soul tree is going to get knocked down by the people who want unobtainium. You know, like, I, I don't really buy into that that much. I, what I really would like to know is how much land in European countries is owned by the federal government. Right. You know, like in France, what's the numbers? Yeah, I don't know. That's, a, <clears throat> that's an interesting point to raise. You know, um, crown land. <laughs> crown land. Yeah, that's what they call it. I mean, it's it's weird to me that one third of the land in the United States is owned by the feds. Like uh, to me, that just seems uh, that just doesn't seem like a good idea. I mean, it's especially it's kind of anti-American, really. Your friend James uh, was very upset by your uh, your cuck lib. <laughs> what did he say? Uh, this is the first time I've ever seen cuck lib used by someone I know and not in a Reddit posting amongst pictures of Pepe the Frog. <laughs> it's surreal. And I and I did say, well, it's you know, he is joking. Uh and Cameron Johnson chimed in. Uh and even Eric Vidal was not on your side on on, on that one. Uh he says you can open up all the land you want. No one's gonna want to live way out there. And he's not wrong. I don't think that that's true, though. And I think that that's a particularly... Talking to the mic. I think that that's... Uh, I don't think that that's true that nobody wants to live out there. And I think that that's going to change very rapidly. Well, in response to this, it, to me, it is fucking insane what people pay. Yeah. Nobody can afford... Nobody. Let me be clear. I have a lot of friends who've bought houses recently. Yeah. Not one of them bought it without their parents' help. Yeah. Not one. Yeah. I, I don't know. Literally not one. Well, because there is no way, there is literally no way, given the way the economics work right now, that somebody our age, 30 something years old, has enough money to practically buy a house. Unless sure. you have, you know, been working well, at a company for here. 10 years nonstop and you've like slowly worked your way up. In these, in yeah, the cities. It's San Francisco, California, San Francisco, New York, LA, mm -hmm. Chicago. Now, maybe Chicago you can't. You but can go buy a house out in. And out in somewhere the fuck out. Yeah, nowhere. exactly. Yeah, but who you know, I think now that we can work remotely, that that's going to get more and more popular. My my theory is that places like Long Beach are going to small cities. That's going to be the next like, you know how we've gentrified the old big cities like Brooklyn, Austin, you know all these places yeah. we've like returned to the cities. The next phase of that is going to be small cities. Like there's going to be huge 
influxes of people to like St. Louis, Indianapolis, Long Beach, uh, these kinds of places. If if we can, you know, the problem with remote remote work so so often though is that employers want to control you and have you be present. Yeah, and every day. They don't want to give up that control, even if it's possible. You know, there's no economic benefit for uh, employers to have somebody that works remotely. Yeah. That's the, that's the big issue is, is the technology can increase as much as we want it to. But if, if stupid middle managers feel better because they can walk around and, and you know. Well, but you can pay people less. So that is in their interest. I mean, if you can pay someone to do your tech work and they live in Indianapolis, you can pay them a hell of a lot less than... You know, like I, it, I'm, I can't really say too right, much but about this, but like, there's, you know, they're going to outsource those jobs to other countries where they can pay people nothing, even less. Yeah. Well, fair, and there, therein lies the problem. Yes. But uh, as far as those jobs can't be outsourced, I mean, I moving to New York to me without making six figures is like, how would you're seeing this happening in San Francisco? There was just an article out where people were like tech companies can't get people to move there yeah. because they don't want to pay $4,000 to live in a two bedroom apartment. Right. You know, I mean, it's like, and I'm with that. Yeah. Like you'd have to pay me to move to a big one, New Yorker or San Francisco. I would have to be making so much money. Yeah. I Otherwise it wouldn't be worth it. I, I wouldn't be able to I've live done, a good life. I've done that with, with jobs that are far across LA. I've I've been like that's not enough money to you know you're in San, justify you're in that. Santa yeah. Monica I'm not going all the way over there for that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that shit. yeah where am I gonna live yeah you know? I'll just I'll work closer and uh, yeah. make less but you know have a commute that's only 15 minutes yeah so that affects employees you know I yeah. think that that probably makes them more open to working remotely because it, they can just pay people less yeah I, I I think that's a good point but I I just doubt the the employer corporate mentality of not having your not being able to look in and see and somebody see working somebody all the time. Yeah, and people, no. and the crazy thing is that people have different work styles. They, some people work in bursts and then fuck around and they work in bursts. Other people are just slow and steady tortoises, but we don't reflect that the same way as in education. We don't reflect that in our, in our hiring and the way that we manage people. We just, we're focused on how they do their work instead of what work that they do. Yeah. So until that mentality changes, then you know, we're, well, all, that's we're because, all stuck living near where we work. Well, that's just because we working is not real. Yeah. It's a system. It's a system of 90% of people who do nothing of value at all. Yeah. And they just need to do something. Right. They need to have be occupied in some way. So they are occupied doing, you know, working at the Verizon store, you know, which is, I mean, yeah, maybe that's even adding some value, but... Anyway, fuck the national parks. 